find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Life design. Can we actually design our life, or is it just kind of going to happen the way it's going to happen? Or has somebody else designed our life? Could somebody else design our life? I think my guest can help me with all that. Her name is Shana Francesca. And what do you think, Shana? I mean, yes and no. You know, we have control over the choices that we have control over. Um, Okay. and And that's what designing our life is about, is about being intentional about what choices we do have and that we can make and that we do have control over. So in a way, yes, we do have some control for sure. Okay. All right. So it's not, obviously there's some things we can't control, you know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because really ultimately to me, so life design is about, you know, it's not about doing more. It's about being more intentional with what we're already doing. Right, And then as we create an intention practice around our life, then we start to see and be able to expand on the life that we're living, right? We're, we're able to carve away what is no longer serving us we get to, because we're being intentional and saying, you know what, this is aligning with my life, this is not aligning with my life, and I'm going to release that which is no longer aligning with my life or maybe never did uh, and along, aligning with my, my intention for my life, right? And then we ultimately end up freeing up more time. And then we can be intentional with how we spend that time and if it's it's aligning with our intention and so on and so forth. And so we really get to dig in and, and create a more joyful life for ourselves because we are, because along with setting, you know, setting an intention, then we set boundaries, right? Because we can't just set an oh, intention. Yeah. We, have, we need to set boundaries around that intention, right? So, because it's like, okay, so I, I'm setting the intention that, um, you know, that I want to live a more joyful life. Well, if there's people in my life who are continually coming to me and, and, and that doesn't mean, we're not talking about when I say a more joyful life, that's not toxic positivity, right? That's, that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is if I want to live a more joyful life, right? Then I'm going to say, okay, um, if I'm, when I'm always around this person, I, I, I'm, I'm getting the sense that they're, they're, I'm always feeling taken away from, right? Like I'm, I'm feeling like they're always asking me to give of myself and there's not much happening in return, right? There's, there's not really reciprocity in that relationship. Well, then I'm going to right. say, you know what, I'm, I'm either going to A, address that with the person or if I feel safe to do so. And if I don't feel safe to do so, I'm going to recognize that that person doesn't belong in my life. And then I'm going to release that relationship, right? Or if it's a thing, right? If I come into my own home and every time I look at a specific piece of furniture or I'm looking at the way my, my house is set up and it's frustrating and it's not conducive to um, what I want to be doing in that space, then I might take some time and reorganize the furniture, re, you know, create a better layout that's going to open it up to be able to do what I want it to do. Or I'm going to get rid of that piece of furniture that's really not doing what I needed to do at all. And maybe I'm just keeping it because it's a family heirloom and somebody wanted me to keep it and I feel bad getting rid of it. But it's your home and your life. And we spend two-thirds of our life inside of our home and and absolutely walking into our home if every time we look at something we feel frustration then our association with our home is no longer a place of peace and rest it's a place of frustration right and where we don't feel like we get to take up that space beautifully and intentionally so let's just donate or sell or or find someone else in the family to take on that piece of furniture right so like there's little there's little practices that we can make that start to build upon each other that start to free up our mental space that start to lead us further into authenticity, that lead us further into a place of joy and, and help us to practice setting boundaries and conducting, you know, and being able to leave in a place where we're 
holding the relationships and the things and and ourselves to those boundaries, responsible for those boundaries. And then we're able to like live more authentically and more joyfully. Right. So like being more intentional ultimately leads to deeper connection with ourselves and deeper connection with one another. Awesome. Okay. All right. I like that. Let me, let me give your bio and then I've got a, a story from the book that uh, Susan and I just finished and I'm going to share that I think you're really going to like. Um, about and, and remind me in case I forget, it's about our beliefs and the beliefs that our family gave us as a child. I think you're going to love it. Okay. Mm. Um, that, <laughs> now let me just give you, give you Shana's bio. She is a speaker, writer, and entrepreneur. She's been interviewed on more than 50 podcasts worldwide and has been published in Medium, Authority Magazine, and Shout Out LA, in Emotional Intelligence and Magazine. She helped people live more joyful and connected lives through the principles of life design. She believes our present and future are transformed when we infuse our lives with intention. We design our lives and realize the power in accepting ourselves as the author of our story. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> okay. And, you know, we are the author of our story. We just need to step up and start writing it. Okay. <clears throat> now, this week, I, I just finished um, working with Susan Kay of Integrative Mind-Body Therapies. And we just finished a book called Am I Normal If?, which I highly recommend to everybody. You have to kind of be ready for it because it's a very thought-provoking book, but it Awesome, awesome book. Um, but we, we were talking about getting rid of things that don't serve you, okay? And, and um, the, the overall message of the book is we don't, that we don't need to be normal, you know, as if there is actually a normal anyway. But it's finding what's natural for you, not what's normal for you, okay? Mm-hmm. And one of the points <clears throat> we brought out was that as as we're being raised in the early messages we get from our family is what their belief system is, okay, and what's what's natural and what's right for them, okay? But as we grow and as we get older and more mature, it's our responsibility to find our belief system and what's right and what's natural for us not just keeping those early beliefs of what was right for them. What do you think? No, I, I absolutely love that. I think, I think the key part is, is getting curious, right? And, and this is something that I talk about in my work consistently <laughs> is because I think oftentimes for a long time, until we create a cure, until we create that, acceptance of curiosity as like a consistent part of our life, right? Asking questions and asking more questions and knowing that we don't know and recognizing that there's so much for us to learn, like that creates a, a practice and it, it programs our brain to, to lean into a moment and, and to ask questions, right? But for many of us, right. we were raised in an environment where we're told, like for me, I grew up in evangelical Christianity and in an abusive household. So I was raised to not ask questions. I was raised that my curiosity was a burden that, you know, and so it's programmed out of us to be curious, right? Even with little right. things, like little, little sayings like curiosity killed the cat, Right, because curiosity right. is in direct curiosity is in direct opposition of systems of oppression. Right, and so right. when so much of the world around us is built on systems of oppression, curiosity leads to education, leads to understanding, leads to change. Right, and so right. it is suppressed in 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 so many of us because that curiosity would necessarily cause us to band together as community and change the world. Right. So I think what yeah, what's really absolutely. key is to recognize that for many of us, we don't even know the questions to ask. So we just have to start with the ones we do know, right? And as we ask more questions and we gain more information, then we find new questions to ask, right? So we don't have to be asking big, profound questions. You know, we don't have to start there. I think the, the place to start is just 
is just getting curious about the world around you, right? In, inside your own home. What, what would ha- what, 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 what's possible here? What would happen if I reorganized my furniture? What would happen if I got rid of this thing? What would happen if I, if I took all the clothes out of my wardrobe that don't fit me and I keep trying to squeeze myself into or that are too big, whatever it is, right? What would happen if I release these things? Just making a practice of asking ourselves what's possible. And the, and, and the more we do that, the more we give our brain permission to explore the world of possibility around us, right? But we have to create that practice because it's been programmed out of us, right? So that's why for yes. me, intention, curiosity, authenticity, creating community and connection, you know, all of these things are a practice. They're not an arrival, they're a practice. It's a daily thing. And, and we really need to start with the very small things in our life that are very accessible to us to begin those practices, right? Like, I don't need to set, like, a major, a major resolution, you know, what would happen if, like, like, I need to, setting resolution, like, I need to lose 50 pounds or so on and so forth. That's not, that's, like, aggressive change. That's not curiosity, right? What if instead I said, what if, what if I just made sure that, what would happen if I made sure that half of my plate was full of fruits and vegetables, Right? Like, what go. if I just focused, what if I focused on my health instead of my weight? Right? What if I, you know, right. asking these kind of questions and creating this kind of practice inside of our life about curiosity rather than being results driven? Right. Well, what, yeah. what if I had a healthy snack or what if I stopped buying chips every time I went to the store? Yeah. You can still buy that chips would, sometimes, but maybe not every time. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe once a month, but not every week. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but also, but also but, a matter yeah. of like expanding. I mean, what works for us as human beings is expanding on the good, right? So, right. Um, yeah. like saying to yourself, "I can't," like I'm not going to buy chips every time I go to the store, can feel really limiting, and then it makes us really want to be compul- like compulsively eat a lot of the things that we shouldn't. Yeah. If instead we create a practice around, you know, what if what if I um, what if this week I bought like a snack that I really love but happens to be a healthier thing, right? Like what if I bought grapes instead, right? And what if this week I ate grapes because I love grapes and I don't buy them enough for myself? Like what if we expand on that? Like find the things that we still love and and focus on doing more of the things that we love, right, and being intentional about that. Um, and bringing joy to ourselves so that we're not punishing ourselves, right, because – that's also a function of systems of oppression is punishing ourselves for doing bad things, right? But to me, it's not a matter of things being bad or good. It's a matter of are they, are they really in alignment with who I am and how I want to show up in the world or not? And, and it's a practice because the world around us is so, is so intensely distracting that it's really hard to be consistent with really big goals it's much easier to just reach into these really small things and just say, you know what, I'm going to choose this one thing and I'm going to do it in a way that's going to make me happier and healthier and more in alignment with my life and is a celebration rather than a punishment. Well, and small things do make a difference. They really do. They do because they do practice. Yeah, they do. Mm They do. Well, and I was I was raised with that whole don't ask questions. You know, anything mm. you need to know, we'll tell you. Just do what right. we tell you. Yes. Right. And, you know, and when I – well, and a funny thing about questions is my father always led a study group, okay? And mm. so he was the one who developed the questions to ask at the study group. And he, he couldn't come up with a question that made sense to anybody to save himself. He couldn't do it. Okay? Mm-hmm. When, when he asked a question, nobody raised their hand because nobody had a clue what he was asking. Okay? So it got to the point where whenever there was something to do, he would have me develop all the questions for him. Because I had a million questions about everything. You know, <laughs> that's how bad his questions were. But yeah. I, I couldn't ask my questions about anything. But he had me develop his questions that he couldn't do. But 
whenever people raise their hands, they're like, oh, she did the questions this week. You know, so. Mm. But, yeah, and it's still that way. I'm still not allowed to ask questions. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll ask people questions yeah. where I'm allowed. And then yeah, you know I, what? I, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. But no, it's, it's like, in, and then when I started a radio show, I was like, oh, I get to ask questions all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, but, yeah. yeah, there's absolutely, there's absolutely boundaries around, like, people are allowed to ask, you know, the thing is, people are allowed to ask us questions, but we don't have to answer them, right? We could say, you know what, that's not right. something you're comfortable with sharing. But when there's people in right. our life who are fundamentally opposed to us asking questions in the first place, um, right. like about anything, right? Like exactly. that they they have decided they're going to be the arbiter of of information. Um, right. Then that's not a relationship, right? That's not a relationship right. because and and I'm not saying that in relationships nothing is off limits because there is still parts of ourselves that we may not feel comfortable with sharing and we're not obligated to share that. But it's a matter of like. There should be there should be some kind of flow of communication. There should be some kind of access, right? Um, and and so when someone is that closed off and it's a matter of control, right? Them not letting us ask questions or engage. It's a matter of mm-hmm. control, and they want to control and be in a position of power in the relationship. And that kind of thing is not is not a healthy relationship. And so even if it's our own parents, even if it's our siblings, it doesn't matter who it is. If somebody is um, interested in controlling us that way, that's not a healthy relationship. And, and we may we may need to back off from that relationship. We may need to give it a lot of space. Like for me, you know, people in my life who have been that way, I've decided to go low contact or no contact. Um, right. You know, even with my own parents, I'm, I'm not no contact with my father. I'm just I, practically, right? Because he's not a, he's, he's an abusive right. person. Um, right. And so he, he's not blocked on my phone, but he's not allowed to contact me without a very specific reason. Um, and he's not allowed to call me and he's not allowed to come near my physical person. There's lots of boundaries there, right? So, you know, I think, right. and, and since that happened, I now feel safe inside of my own self and inside of that relationship because it's set up in a way where my safety is, it, my boundaries are put there and honored. And if he violates those boundaries, then we go completely no contact, right? So like, right. I, 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 we, in those moments, we can recognize that if somebody is trying to control us that way, we still have control. We don't have to give them our time. We don't, ha- we don't owe them anything. And then we can step back and we can bring ourselves back to a place of safety. Um, and by removing ourselves from the situation and removing ourselves from that power dynamic. Well, my thing too is is if if I say something and a person wants an explanation, I should be able to give that, you know. And if not, there there's an issue, you know. Yeah, if, I think there's yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely yeah. Like if somebody can't give us a why, they're telling us to do something or something like you know. There there's right. You have to you have to earn that kind of. Um, trust where I'm not asking you why. And it has to be right. continually yeah. trust. It has to be contri- continually built, right? And once I, once I know yeah. I can trust you and there's continual investment in that trust by both people, then I'm going to be less likely to ask why. But when there's not right. and I ask why, that should be an indication. I'm unsure that I'm safe in this situation and I need you to clarify. Or I'm unsure that that this, that, that this is in alignment with who I am and I need you to clarify so that I can decide, right? And if somebody's not willing to provide that clarification, they don't actually care about your intention, right? Exactly. Like they don't actually care yeah. about your intention for your life. They just, they want what they want, right? Not right. always, right? There's nuance to this conversation. It's not applicable to every single situation, but in general, people should be able to explain to us why we need to do something or why a process is happening, or so on and so forth, um, for us to be able to um, continue to engage and to build that trust. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think I think we have a lot in common, actually. Okay, but we won't we won't delve that that we'll let that go right at that. Okay. So what 
is life design? How would you define that for the listeners? Life design is about is not about doing more. It's about being more intentional with what we're already doing. Life design is about intention, curiosity, um, connection, community, about the intersection of all those things, about recognizing that we are meant to take up space beautifully and intentionally in this world and not we are not meant to take it away from other people, right? What's meant for us is only meant for us, right? And when we recognize the, how powerful we are within ourselves, we have no need to take away from other people. We recognize that there's enough for us to do within who we are, and it's extremely powerful. Right? As Marion Williamson said, you know, our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Right? And when we recognize how powerful we are inside of ourselves, we can then get more intentional, recognize our, the, the, our desperate need for one another, and build community around that and know that we are powerful within ourselves, but even more powerful together. You know, it's about, you know, life design is about getting to a place where we feel deeper connection to ourselves and deeper connection to one another and live a more joyful life. All right. Definitely more powerful together. Definitely. Of course, and, and the, the more synergistic the group is, the better. Okay, now you at one point were an interior designer, is that correct? Yeah, and I still, it's, I have a BS in interior design that's part of the work that I do. So my interior design work fits underneath my life design work. Um, and, the, and the reason is um, because we spend two-thirds of our life inside of our home. Um, and so for, for a very long time, interior design work was what I did primarily. Um, but now most of my work centers around workshops, workshop facilitation and public speaking um, to take the principles that I, am, that I worked with people inside of their home and be able to help, imply, uh, uh, help them and empower them to apply them to their, their lives, right? Um, and because when I was working primarily as an interior designer, I would sit down with people and I would say, okay, what is the story that you want your life to tell? And then we'll create your home as the stage from which you're telling that story, right? And not in a performative way, but in the way that, that you know, the way that a stage sets a mood, sets a culture, sets a feeling, sets a vibe for a moment, right? Our home can do the same exact thing. It can be the vision board for our life. It is the place we come home to every night. We spend you know, we spend two-thirds of our life inside of our home, but even further, if we think about it, we spend, you know, about eight to nine hours alone just in our bedroom. And our bedroom is the, the last thing we see when we close our eyes at night and the first thing we see when our eyes open. So these spaces are meant to be there to support us, to help us to thrive. And we want that first thing we open our eyes to to be a, a beautiful reflection of how we see and understand ourselves and who we want to be in the world. And when we can recognize the power in that, right, in knowing that our home should be a reflection of who we are, not of marketing, not of, you know, whatever trend is going on, right? These trends really have nothing to do with us. They have everything to do with capitalism and consumption, right? Um, okay. Is that, that that gets to be a truer representation of who we are, and then that empowers the rest of our life, right? Because a beautiful intentional life is built up on a, on dozens and hundreds and thousands of small, small decisions and small choices and small interactions with our space, right? Where we're constantly feeling reaffirmed rather than diminished. And I think for so many people, we see so many reflections of what our home quote unquote should look like through social media and through advertising. And, and, it, and it's further disconnecting us from who we are, even inside of our own home, right? Because we're like creating our home as a reflection of whatever trend rather than a reflection of who we are and an amalgamation of all these beautiful things that, you know, perhaps we have art from all over the world or we've got eclectic furniture. And for me, interior design is about figuring out how to make all the things work together rather than throwing everything out 
and bringing in all these new things that are aligned with the trend that will be out, out of date in 10 years, right? When I do my interior design work, it's this beautiful, people bring me in as their interior designer and, and they're choosing me to be the mirror, right? To show them how I see them. And it's such a beautiful, vulnerable thing to be able to show people how I see them and to be able to reflect that and bring that into a physical reality in their home. Um, and then because it's rooted in who they are and not in a trend, it has such beautiful lasting power, right? It's not just, you know, cool for five years and then we've got to do it all over again. It, it, you know, I have clients where we, we work together for more than a decade and, you know, all we've done, had to do is like get rugs cleaned right or like get the walls touched up because because it's about who they are right and who they are has such right. a beautiful staying power and, and we can add things to it and we can change it around and it and it doesn't feel out of place because because it belongs because it's who they are right right unless they go through some big life change or something but yeah that makes a lot of sense absolutely yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a big life change, you know, that, that necessarily might create some. Um, but, but again, that's why we sit down and say, what, what story do you want your life to tell, right? And that's not about, you know, I want to be married, I want to have kids. That's not, that's not the story that I'm talking about. Creating the story that you want your life to tell is like setting a direction on a compass, right? It's like saying, this is how I want to be seen, this is how I want to be, this is how I want to experience the world. This is how I want to understand the world. And, and these m might be some things that I'm looking to accomplish, right? But it's not the accomplishment that's defining me, right? I'm starting to listen. I start to listen and hear and understand, you know, how someone wants to be seen, how they want to feel the world around them, how they want to experience it, right? Because like Maya Angelou said, people don't remember what you say, you know, they, but they, they will remember how you make them feel. And so for me, right. it's about how people want to feel as they move through the world. Interesting. I like that approach to design. Yeah. Okay. So how did that design work transition into your life design work? Yeah, so I started I started kind of taking these concepts and these discussions, right? Because we're having this discussion and I'm not your interior designer, right? So I had to I had I started taking this conversation and and client and like client after client I was working with, they were like, "You know, actually, I tell people that you're my interior designer and my life coach." I'm like, "You do?" <laughs> and these people then like some of my clients are they're doctors and lawyers and judges and they're really accomplished people. And so, you know, for us to be having these kind of discussions and, you know, like for heads of medical departments to be like, like the one client who said it and it really finally like hit me, he's the head of a medical department, you know, very prestigious, one of the top six, you know, medical um, uh, hospitals in the world, right? Um, and, he, and he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and so I started to recognize that these conversations were really, and I knew that they were really powerful, but I started to recognize that I wanted to have them with more people. And I, I could only work with so many people as their interior designer, even with hiring assistants and staff and so on and so forth. You know, I still like to be intimately involved in projects. Um, but, but, I started leading group coaching four years ago around these concepts. And uh, after working with like 100 people, I, I really just started to recognize that this was a much, this is a very powerful conversation and much, um, much better if I didn't just have it with my interior design clients, right? Like it didn't need to be confined to that. It really could take right. on a life of its own. And, and I wanted to give it that space to take on that life. Um, and so, you know, started focusing on, you know, facilitating workshops and public speaking and doing podcasts and being able to have this conversation with more people in a variety of ways to be able to affect greater change. Awesome. Well, I mean, you know, you're, you were getting them to look inside themselves 
to let you know details about themselves. So yeah, I can I can see how that would be so much more revealing for them. So yeah, that's cool. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That, well, that is so cool. Interesting. Huh. Okay, so let's let's talk about you personally. What what ways are you designing your own life? Oh yeah. Um yeah, the fun thing about teaching other people is that you learn so much yourself. Um yes. And and so for me, I started to look and ask myself in what ways, you know, what things do I want to explore or what ways do I want to explore life and my own creativity um, that I wasn't before or that I haven't given myself permission to. Um, and so uh, I guess about uh, five months ago now, um, for a long time I'd been thinking about writing a book and I knew that I didn't want my very first book to necessarily be like a memoir, although someday I do want to write that book um, and talk about, mm-hmm. you know, my experience of how I got here because I know it's a very powerful story and it's part of what I share in my keynotes and, and in, even in my workshops. Um, but I really wanted to be able to explore the ways and, and I've been writing since I was a kid in a, in a variety of ways, poetry and keeping a journal and so on. But I, I wanted to start to kind of use my imagination to begin to reimagine relationships, right? And, uh, and I was like, huh, maybe that could be what my first book is, right? I could, I could dive into, um, into fiction, writing a, a fiction story and use that therapeutically, you know, have it be something that's beautiful and interesting, but use it for myself really therapeutically to reimagine the endings of the endings of different relationships, right? Like, um, create, create relations, like take these different interactions I've had in my life and create them like a collage and, and write a new ending, write a new story for these different interactions. And so I wrote my first romance novel, um, and uh, under the pen name Maeve Marin, and the title is Under My Skin, and it's it's on Amazon Kindle and Kindle Unlimited currently. Um, but the beauty for it was like sitting down. I didn't realize, you know, how therapeutic it was going to be. And you know, I did know that fiction, and I do know that fiction is an important part of the way that we process information. So there's been a lot of studies on people who do uh, simply do a lot of personal development work or professional development work and read a lot of books on, uh, on those topics. And if that's all you consistently read, your brain kind of goes into this like, like moment where it can't process any more information. But people mm-hmm. who read personal and professional development books and mix in fiction actually process and implement more information in their life than those who only read personal and professional development books. And the reason is, um, but, you know, if we boil it down, the reason is because we're able to process a lot of these concepts through fictional characters. And so right. I, you know, that, was this, that has been a big part of me. And now I'm writing my second book is a big part of me kind of saying, okay, what would I like the world to look like? What would I like these different interactions in my life? What do I like? What, how would I like to um, show people as being able to show up as, right? How can I reimagine um, different aspects of our society and, and, and see what feels right, you know, for these characters, right? And so it's completely made up, right? The story is completely made up and yet it's in some ways a reimagining of aspects of my own life. Oh, there you so go. that for me okay. has been a really beautiful practice for me to like show up for myself is like, how can I, how can I use my creativity and also move forward in my own, in my own healing and my own journey and my own processing of myself and the world around me. Right. Yeah. It's amazing how therapeutic writing can be. Mm-hmm. I, um, I talk about that all the time. There was uh there was a health crisis I went through and, and uh, I, I wrote a book about journaling and highly recommended journaling mm. in it. And yeah. uh, 
I wrote it about three months after I almost died. And uh, Mm. it amazes me when I go back and read it, how clinical and how cold and how unlike me the writing sounded. And, but mm. I, I think back to the the state I was in mentally and emotionally, physically, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, well, okay. You know, considering everything, I, I, yeah, I was very disconnected from myself when I wrote that. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> and I've I've got a memoir about the last seven eight years. I'm I want to write, and. Uh, it's going to be incredibly difficult, but I think it's going to be very yeah. powerful also. Yeah, I imagine. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. So why did you start your business that you have now? It, um, it sounds like your, your client kind of uh, pushed you into it. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I was already doing the work. You know, I was I was already doing the work that I'm doing now. I just wasn't. Um, I was just doing it mostly through the medium of interior design, right? Um, I then just took the same concepts, and now the medium is public speaking and workshop facilitation, right? So I'm still doing exactly the same work. And I relate it to people this way is I went from being an interior designer in the physical sense to an interior designer in the personal sense, right, inside of ourselves versus inside of our environment, right? And... And really now it's, it's an amalgamation of the two. It's a recognition that they are directly tied, right? So there was a study that came out in 2019 that, that um, the findings were that of the three things that are key to our happiness, number one is our mental health, number two is our home. And for me, in my work, I've, I've seen over and over again how those two things, those two top things, the third is our mental health, I mean our physical health. Number one is our mental health, number two is our home, number three is our physical health. But in my work, I've seen over and over again how number one and number two are indelibly tied together and they affect the third, right? So it's a matter of recognizing that, you know, our home is a reflection of our beliefs about ourselves and the way that we feel safe to show up in the world. And when we recognize that and we can give ourselves the, we give ourselves permission and empower ourselves to really take up space within our home, um, walking away from the rules, right? Because the rules have nothing to do with us. It's our home. We should be able to reflect ourselves in it um, beautifully and intentionally um, and, and, and the rules be damned, right? And then when we do that, it becomes a practice for giving ourselves permission in the rest of, you know, inside of our head and governs the rest of our life, right? All these things kind of, again, build up on top of each other. Giving ourselves permission at home helps to empower us to give ourselves permission out in the greater world. Hmm. Okay, interesting. All right, so who are you, and I'm guessing Maya Angelou is one of these, but who are your heroes and your mentors? Um, Absolutely. Maya Angelou is a mentor in my head, (laughs) absolutely. Um, For a long time, I really um, spent a lot of time reading Brene Brown's books. Um, Oh, uh, yeah, and then Jen Sincero, um, You Are a Badass is her first book, and I, I've read that probably more than a dozen times. You know, some of these books become touchstones that I go back to and remind myself in difficult moments, like, you know, you're, you're, you're not in any different place than anybody else was in the world, right? Like, there's other people who have been through struggles, and they've figured out, you know, how to make it through, and, and they've ultimately done done so with the help of other people and you know we're not meant to do it alone like these books just bring back these concepts that you know we're not alone i'm not alone i'm not meant to do it alone i can't do it alone (laughs) and everybody else is kind of in the same boat right and so um and yet and also recognizing that systems of oppression affect different people different ways right (laughs) Um, and and re- helping me to recognize to decenter myself um, in 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 all kinds of moments, right? So for me, there's lots of different mentors, and I turn to to different books at different times. Um, I just finished reading uh, like a month ago. I finished reading Mia Birdsong's How We Show Up, 
um, absolutely incredible book. Um, you know, there's a whole list. Like, there's so many books that I go back to. Um, Rebel Talent by Francesca Gino. And, you know, there's all these different books that, that I turn to for different things, right? And, and so when I'm looking, when, when I can feel inside of myself that I'm struggling with a particular thing, I look for books that will give me insight and, and that author will serve as a mentor in my head to, to move through that moment. Yeah, there's just, there's certain things that, there, there's just certain times that certain messages, we just, we just need them again, you know? <clears throat> so yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And it's, it's great exactly. to find those new resources, you know, from time to time and, and to mm-hmm. have the, the worn copies of the other ones, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> but, yep, I, I, do, I do understand. So what what has your healing journey looked like over the years? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> at any <laughs> given moment, it's looked like... For, for me right now, the place that I'm in is learning to feel my feelings. Um, and that sounds so, so basic, but it's so hard. Um, I'm, I'm neurodivergent, so I have autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. Um, so I am a very, I'm a hyper self-aware person. And I, um, and I also have CPTSD. Um, so my, I know that my, um, go-to trauma response is um, is hyper-independence and is pulling away, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so for, for me, I, I, in those moments, I tend to um, intellectualize my feelings and analyze my feelings okay. rather than feeling my mm-hmm. feelings, right? <laughs> and the distinction mm-hmm. between those things can sometimes feel like so hard to grasp, but it's a matter of allowing myself, instead of dismissing my feelings, because growing up, my feelings were always dismissed, right? You're fine, brush it off, no crying, you know, you're not bleeding, you can't cry, nothing's broken, you can't cry, but the reality is we're meant to cry, right? Right? The crying is the feeling of our feelings. The crying is our body releasing that pain, and releasing the expectation for that moment, releasing all of these different things. We're, it's a type of mourning for that moment, right? And we're meant mm-hmm. to l- move all those things through and out of our bodies. But if we, if we stop that process, if we learn to stop that process, and we never actually learn to feel our feelings, then all those feelings get trapped inside of our bodies and show up in really unhealthy ways. Numbing, you know. Um, for me, it was... Um, uh, a disordered eating, um, bulimia, anorexia, um, right? You know, all, all kinds of ways of not allowing myself to feel and punishing my body um, for wanting to feel. So now, feeling my feelings looks like um, going for a walk after a difficult moment, putting on a song and dancing it out. I love a random dance party, letting myself cry just letting myself sob and feel all the feelings, you know, being quiet and, me- and meditating, right? And so for me right now, the process is just figuring out how to sit with, but not dwell in, right? Sit with, right. move through and feel the feelings without dwelling in them and making myself wrong for feeling them and then them turning into depression, right? For me, right? Um, right making myself wrong, making myself bad, and then slipping into this type of depression. So, um, so yeah, I bought myself a trampoline, like a small indoor trampoline. <laughs> mm-hmm. So because it's cold, I live on the East Coast and it's cold right now, so I can't just always, yes, you know, is. quick go out for a walk, right, because the weather may not right. permit. So instead I'll, like, I'll put on a song and I'll dance it out, or I'll go and jump on the trampoline for five minutes. And just just shake it out, shake it off, move through it, right? And or cry it out, whatever whatever is meant to happen. But I'm giving my I give myself a few options, letting myself feel it, and then move it out of my body. Interesting. Yeah. I um <clears throat> I found it it was it was interesting how therapeutic and 
the well, let, well, let me tell you, <clears throat> the Am I Normalist book. My as as we were as I was interviewing Dr. K to to get her story and to kind of figure out what she wanted to accomplish with the book, I got the idea to write the first the first chapter is an introduction in her her backstory, kind of credibility building kind of deal. And then I was like, okay, how am I going to tackle all this awesome information I want to share? And I got the feeling, I said, how about we write the book like you're going through an initial intake session with her? Okay, I said, let's go through an intake session. You, You do an intake session with me. Okay, let's show me what it's like. I want to. I want to know. So we went through the whole session. And like, That's it. That's we're going to use the format that you use for an intake session. And so we we did that and recorded it. So I'd have it to go back to, <clears throat> and I still have it on my hard drive. But it was it was interesting how rough some of the chapters were for me to write, and the revelations I came up with, and how therapeutic writing that book was um, because it was it was very much like I was going through therapy with her writing the book it really was um, and of course then I, I got to ask questions when we went through and we were editing things and she was kind of flushing out parts for me and this kind of thing and that was you know um, getting her to, to do some extra pieces that I wanted to, to drop into it and that kind of thing but I think I think you'd really, really enjoy it, um, especially the religion chapter. I'd love to hear what you have to say about mm. that chapter. That was by far the hardest chapter to write because I wanted. Did to you grow up in a, Did you point. grow up in a religious household? Oh yeah, yeah. You could say that. And the you know you're not allowed to ask questions, not allowed to do this, not allowed to do that. And it was really funny because I keep telling her, I said, give, give me some stuff to post about the book. And in, you know how when you're writing or you're putting together, you know, things that you want to put out there for things like workbooks, whatever. And you, know, you wake up at like 3 or 4 in the morning or you're still like at 3 in the morning and like a fantastic idea hits you and you you got to get it on paper, got to do whatever, like right now. I had this one thought, <coughs> and I was writing um, the section about having the talk with your kids, right? There's a million ways you can do it, and and I was <laughs> sadly found out that a whole lot of parents still aren't having the talk with their kids. I mean, it's 2023, people. Come on, you know. Um but there's there's a lot of ways you can come at the topic if if you're one of the few awesome parents that actually does have the talk. But having the talk is one thing, okay? But how you how you approach the subject, okay? And how you talk about sex with somebody has a huge difference and how they're going to look at it, okay? Because you can you can come at it in a positive way. You can come at it in a very dismissive way. You can come at it in a very shameful, guilt-ridden way. And each one of those is going to have a very lasting effect on how that person feels about sex for a long time. Maybe Maybe their entire life if they never get help, find a way to deal with it and get past that, whatever. And that's what she was talking about. She was reading that passage from the book. And that that hit me one night. I was just kind of thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, having to talk with them is great and, and actually addressing that with, with kids. But you know what? Another thing to consider is is how do you talk to them? How do you come at it, and how do you approach the subject? And do do you do you come at it and don't ever do this, you know, or do you come at it lovingly and do you have any questions, you know, what what do you need from me 
as your parent or what, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I was so yeah. thrilled. That was, that was the thing that she decided to pick out of the book to, to share, you know, because it's yeah. just, <clears throat> it's, it's so different how yeah. you grow up with your impressions and thoughts and that kind of thing. I thought you might like Yeah, that. I think, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm currently reading um, the book Come As You Are. Um, by Dr. Emily yeah. Nagoski, and um, yeah. and I think it's a really important book for every person on the planet to um, to read, no matter what your sex is, um, and no mm-hmm. matter what your gender is, and no matter what you know who you love. Right? Um, I think it's it's really important because it's information that is largely left out of. Um, conversation. But I think the really beautiful thing, uh, you know, and again, this is why I do the work that I do around being intentional is because, you know, I think for, for me, for myself, I, I'm choosing not to get married or have children. Uh, I'm interested in partnership, but I'm not interested in marriage because the laws around marriage and family, you know, when they were created, were created around ownership of the female body. And um, that's not something I'm interested in buying into. Um, but but there are lots of, you know, children and people in my life, right, who have children. And those children come to me because they know I'm very honest <laughs> and, right. and ask me questions. And so I've had to, you know, and, 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 their, and sometimes parents, their parents will come to me and be like, you know, we'll have a conversation because, I, you know, my, my niece, I spend a lot of time with her, uh, my one niece. And, and so she asks me, you know, all kinds of questions and I have to have these conversations with her parents. Like, what do you, you know, how are we answering this question, you know? <laughs> Um, but I think the thing is because we were never, we never had these conversations in healthy ways, right? We're talking about it with one another of like, how, how can we have this conversation in a healthier way? Because we never had it in a healthy way. So we're not going to be experts, right? And I think by approaching these conversations that are awkward and weird and in just embracing the humanity in them that I don't know the right way to answer this question, but I'm going to do the best that I can with what I know now. And as I learn more, I'll clarify and I'll bring more information to you. Let's like learn together, right? And I think when parents or people in authority approach a conversation that way with a young person, no matter what their age, I think it honors all of our humanity. And rather than Mm -hmm. coming at it like we have to know, right, is just giving ourselves and that child the grace of knowing that like for the rest of our lives we'll be learning, right? Like that's when we approach those conversations that way, it's such a beautiful gift to ourselves and to the, and to that child of like, you know, I don't know the right answer, but let's try to figure out the best way to move forward together. Right. And just like, exactly. it's going to be awkward and sometimes it's going to be weird. And sometimes I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness. And sometimes we're going to have to clarify because we're going to learn more as we go through life. All of these things are valid. Right. And just honoring that human experience is such a beautiful practice in these really powerful, really important conversations. Well, and it also helps the child to know it's okay not to know everything and to go find the answer, you know, because they're certainly going to have to do it more than once, you know. So, and like I said, I think it's just a great example showing, you know what, you don't know everything and it's okay to say I don't. So, yeah. Um. So the name of your business is Consonate, correct? Yeah. Where, where, does that, where does it come from and what's it mean? You tell me it's a real okay. word. <laughs> it's a real word. Um, yeah. So a friend of mine came to me, like I was, I was looking to re, um, uh, to re, uh, the word's escaping me. <laughs> I have a cold. Um, <laughs> my brain's a little foggy. I was looking to um, to change the name of my business and to re- rebrand. There you go. That's the word. I was looking to rebrand my business. <laughs> yeah. And because when I first started the business, I created the name as a placeholder. And I knew it was a placeholder. I wasn't quite sure yet where I wanted to take the business and, and what was possible for me. And I wasn't yet in a place where I was giving myself permission to bring all that I am and who I am to the business, right? Um, but I knew I would get there. 
<laughs> and so I just gave it a, a I just gave it a name to, to when I first opened it. It was SF Design LLC. Technically, that LLC still exists, but I don't really use it anymore. Um, and then I and then I said, you know, as I as I became more intentional with what I was doing, and as I started, you know, the group coaching and got that moving forward, um, I was like, you know what, this this name needs to be reflective of everything that we are as a company and everything that I want to do and, and really be able to hold more space, right? And a friend of mine um, and I love, like, coming across new words. Like, I used to read the dictionary growing up. I love discovering new words that have such powerful meanings. And she sent me randomly this word, consinity. And I was like, I've never heard that word before. And I look up the definition, or she sent me, like, the snapshot of the definition, and I read it, and I was like, this word is really cool. I love its meaning. Um, and so then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of the origin of the word and related words and so on and so forth and came across consonate. Now, consonate is a verb, but I use it as obviously for my business as a proper noun. Um, but consonate actually means to arrange or blend together skillfully as parts or elements put together in a harmonious, precisely appropriate or elegant manner. And I, as soon as I read that definition, I was like, that's exactly what we do <laughs> in everything that we do, whether we're talking about interior design or we're talking about life design, we're talking about working with people or their homes because we're working with people when we're working with their homes. You know, it encompasses everything that we do and, our, and, and really the purpose, the why. Um, we're do, we do what we do. And so uh, that became the name. I, I immediately fell in love with it. I immediately knew that was the name. So it's a real word. It's just a dead word. It's a word that hasn't really, it came into the lexicon, um, into the English lexicon in like the 1500s, 15, 1600s. Okay. I don't know exactly when it went dead, but it's been dead for a while. Like it's not something that you will come across um, in writing in the last, you know, hundred years. Um, but, yeah. but I loved that it sounds kind of familiar, right? Like it kind of sounds adjacent to other words that we know, so it doesn't sound completely unfamiliar, but um, it also has some, it has some novelty because it isn't actually a word we know. Right. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, would you like to tell the listeners how they can find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest, best way is just head to my website. It's www.consonate.world, and I'm sure it'll be tagged in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, if not, it's www.concinate.world. There you can find all the information about workshops, about um, kicking off group coaching, um, a couple of new sessions. Um, you can find information about one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, you can also subscribe to our um, email list. So I don't send it out very regularly. I send it out a couple of times a month, but only when there's something I really want to share um, that feels really powerful. Um, so that'll go out, you know, two or three times a month, but there's always something really interesting to learn or to share in there. Um, so that's a really great way to stay consistently connected. Um, and then also there's the link to all my social media. So the website is the best place to go. You can find everything there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our call and discovered we have lots in common. <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Oh, my gracious. Um, and my voice is, by the time we're done, is going to be gone. But that's okay. All right. Well, the show will be archived on my website. And if you go to lovecoachjourney.com slash life design, you will find more information. You'll find the links to uh, Shanna's information and to her, her book, her website, and... Um, all the rest of the information. And um, thank you very much for being here. I enjoyed Thanks it a lot. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And listeners, I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.